Hello and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I am your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another awesome guest to introduce to you now. Mark Reed describes himself as a professor, lawyer, and Japanese papermaker. He studied at the University of Alabama, Florida State, and the Syracuse University College of Law. He currently lives in Yamaguchi, Japan, with his wife, Haruka. I found Mark through his new and fantastic podcast called Zen Sandwich, which inspires mindfulness, humor, and a realistic approach to the Zen lifestyle in the modern world. The episodes are brief, funny, and very practical. It is an absolute honor to host him today. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Casey. Great to be here. So you are in Japan currently? Yes, I'm in Yamaguchi, Japan. Okay, so it is Tuesday afternoon here, which means it's Wednesday morning there. Is that correct? Right. It's about 7.15 in the morning here. Okay, so first question we have to ask, what is the future like? You are calling from the future <laughs> magically. What, what, hap- what happens? What's, what's next? <laughs> it's, co- it's cold. <laughs> a cold thr- front just rolled through here like um, a few hours ago, and it, it got really freezing here. So I guess yeah, uh, more of the same then? Dang. <laughs> yeah, and, and Japan, as modern as Japan is, like, uh, you know, everyone thinks that, you know, all technology is coming out of Japan and we're flying around in cars here. Uh, modern houses still don't have sort of central heating the way that we do in the United States. So really? like each room, yeah, each room has, I mean, the, the air con heater that I have in, in separate rooms are, are top notch the top of the line, but you've got to start it up in each room each time you walk in. So Wow. It, like the whole house is not warm. So when I just walked in here, it's it's still freezing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's super interesting. I didn't know that. Um, I definitely meant what I said about your podcast. I mean, I discovered your podcast literally three days ago. It was on the 19th. And reading through the titles before I even hit play, I already knew like this dude is like kindred spirit, man. I got to I gotta have a conversation <laughs> with this guy. Um, and I, I want to talk about the podcast, but I also want to say you, you're a professor, a lawyer, and a Japanese papermaker. Wh- which one is it? You got to pick one, don't you? You can't do all of those, can you? Well, yeah, I, I don't. Uh, I'm not a professor or a lawyer anymore. So now I'm exclusively a uh, Japanese papermaker and uh, and podcaster. But uh, no, I <clears throat> my career, uh, about 20 years of my career, it was divided about evenly, about 10 years as a lawyer and 10 years as a professor. And, um, yeah, I, I walked away from both. <laughs> so we'll, we'll go back and kind of revisit, you know, you growing up in your childhood and things like that. But what, what made you walk away? That's so interesting. That seems like a very successful, I mean, both career paths could have been successful in the way that people see them. What, what made you walk away? Well, I, I've, I enjoyed both. I mean, I've enjoyed my career the, the whole way through, regardless of what I was doing, um, and the only reason I walked away from, from teaching, teaching would, I would say is probably my strongest passion. I, I mean, that's sort of why I'm doing a podcast is it, this is just another platform to teach, to educate. Mm. Um, but, uh, as for walking away from being a lawyer, most of that was because it, I, I don't regret going to law school and I don't regret my experiences, but, um, there certainly was a kind of dark side to being a lawyer, regardless of which side you were on. I, I, I first was a prosecutor. And so when I 
went into that 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 field of criminal justice and I had notions of oh I'm you know going to help put really really bad guys away and that that's a or you know just to preserve safety in society um not that I wanted to punish you know that I had this sort of punitive motivation but I wanted to do the right thing but I got into the the job and some of it was not as uh I wasn't I didn't always feel like I was wearing the white hat I you know there there was definitely a darker side to some things that people were doing and I left that and went into uh private practice litigation and I wound up working for a, a large law firm and defending large banks and that didn't feel right either so that that profession I did just walk away on sort of moral grounds I didn't do anything ethically wrong my personal morals were feeling uh, like I was compromising them. Mm, that's so interesting. So from there, you transitioned to be a professor. Is that correct? Well, I went back to it. I, uh, I had been a, prof- yeah, I had, uh, I mean, my first teaching experience was uh, when I was at, well, my first teaching experience was in Japan 20, let's see, 20, uh, about 23 years ago. Um, but that was on the junior high school level. Then I went to grad school at Florida State and while I was working on a master's there, I, I taught, uh, I wasn't a professor, and I was just a graduate teaching assistant, but, but I had, I was able to teach some courses on my own. I taught a course called Death and Dying for four semesters, and then uh, was a TA for uh, World Religions and Philosophy of Religion. Hmm. But, uh, but after that, um, I then, I got jobs at Kanagawa University and Tokyo University of Science teaching English. And then when I came back to teaching a couple of years ago, I taught at Ritsumeikan Asia Pacific University in, um, in Beppu, Japan. Hmm. Wow. How did you end up in Japan? How does a dude from Alabama end up halfway across the world? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, uh, the short version of it is when I was growing up, I, I, uh, I practiced Aikido and Judo. And so, uh, you know, you, you just learn like very, very basic stuff, like how to count to 10, like when you're doing techniques, Ichi ni Sanshi. And, uh, and so that piqued a little bit of interest in the Japanese language. When I got to the University of Alabama, I, I saw that there was a language requirement and that, uh, and I didn't want to just, I'd already taken Spanish in high school and I thought, I want to do something different. I'll take Japanese. Well, that turned into a minor and, uh, you know, I took three years of it and, you know, into a, it developed into a fascination for the culture. And so, and I applied for that first job I mentioned earlier, 23 years ago, um, I applied, it's, it was called the JET program. It's basically the one that's sponsored by the Japanese government and you teach in public junior high schools or high schools. And, uh, and after living there for a year, 1997 through 98, I, uh, you know, I just fell in love. Mm, That's so cool. How did you meet your wife? I met her, uh, now we have been married one year. Uh, our, actually our anniversary is day after tomorrow. Actually, yeah, congrats. it's Wednesday here. It's Wednesday here for me. It's actually tomorrow wow. is our, is our one year anniversary. Cool. Congratulations. But, thank you very much. Um, but I have known her for 15 years because when I was here in 2004, 2005, uh, teaching at Kanagawa university, I had, I met her, uh, through work colleagues and, you know, we dated at the time and, uh, um, and we kept in touch over the years and 
So a couple of years ago, she came to visit me in the United States and everything went well. And, and she invited me to Japan and I said, well, well, yeah, why not? <laughs> That's great. I love it. That's super cool. Now, so you grew up Baptist, is that correct? Yeah. I mean, I, um, my parents weren't overly religious, but my friends were. So around the junior high school years, they started dragging me to church, you know, on like Wednesday nights and then that became Sunday mornings. And yeah, so around the junior high school age, I, I mean, everyone in Birmingham, Alabama pretty much is, is Baptist. Sure. Bible Bell, right? Right. Yeah. Interesting. So how, how did you end up finding the, I guess, the more Zen way of life? It was certainly a gradual process. Uh, I didn't know anything about Eastern religions. Uh, and I hesitate to call Zen a religion because I don't, you know, it's technically Zen Buddhism, but I don't consider Buddha a God. I don't pray to mm. Buddha or anything, but uh, to make the transition as a, a moral philosophy that I utilize in my life, it was a gradual process for sure. It first started on an academic level. So when I was at the University of Alabama, I was a political science major and also a, a religious studies major. And that religious studies major was kind of tacked on just because it was something that interested me. I didn't intend to do anything with it. But uh, so while I'm taking religious studies classes, I start taking classes on Eastern philosophy or Buddhism, Hinduism, et cetera. And um, then I, I later went to grad school um, for religion. I, I didn't anticipate that being the what was going to happen. But just like life, we always plan it out, but it never, it almost never happens the way we plan it out. So, but I went, so I went to grad school to get a master's in religion. And um, yeah, so it, it started basically academically. And then living in Japan, the Japanese people imbibe Zen life, even if they don't, aren't even conscious of it. Um, I, I'll give you a kind of example. I don't want to go off too far here, but. No, please. Um, <laughs> well, there's a book, uh, I'm, I'm going to take a small tangent and then I'll bring it back. Um, there's a book uh, by Max Weber or Max Weber, depending on your pronunciation. I had an actual German sociology sociology professor who used to call him Max Weber, but he wrote a book uh, about uh, Protestantism and the spirit of capitalism in the United States. He basically sort of explained that, you know, because the United States was founded on uh, basically Protestants that had were escaping the Church of England or um, that were coming over, they, they sort of took that bold step to get on boats and cross an ocean. It might take them three months to cross and it was a dangerous voyage, but they were willing to do it. And anyway, long story short, the, the, the bold uh, audacity of these religious groups that came to the United States and formed and formed their different sects like uh, Quakerism or, uh, you know, the Puritans and, and so on. And that cultivated into what became modern day capitalism. So what I'm trying to say is that there is a, an underlying Protestant ethic that is, uh, embedded 
in modern day American capitalism, how I'm going to bring that back to Japan is that likewise, Zen Buddhism that came over uh, 600, 800 years ago to Japan and, and mixed with Shintoism that was the prevailing religion here, um, it permeates the culture. And so that people in the 21st century in Japan act very Zen, even if they don't go to a temple or they don't, they don't realize they're acting Zen. It, it's, it's in the culture itself, whether they know it or not. Mm, that's super interesting. What, what practices did you first start adopting as you were learning more about Zen Buddhism? What, was it meditation? I think that's a big one for most people. Were there, were there other certain practices that drew you in? I, I think the first key buzzword for me would be mindfulness. Um, being, being aware of the present moment. Uh, I, like most of us, was spending the majority of my time in the past or in the future. You know, my, I'm walking around and my thoughts are reliving old memories, good and bad, and, uh, or planning out tomorrow or I'll be happy when X, Y, or Z happens, you know, planning out the future. And when I started really diving into, you know, hey, happiness is not some goal to be attained in the future. Happiness is here with you right now. It's in front of you. It's around, it's in the cup of coffee you're drinking. <laughs> um, that was, that was my moment of Zen, so to speak, that where I sort of woke up. And I, from that, I then began practices of meditation and different forms of meditation, some guided where I'm listening to someone or some silent. Mm. And I think I, I certainly make this mistake of using the word mindfulness and meditation interchangeably, where I think it's important to note that meditation is something that can bring you more mindfulness, but there are many different ways or techniques that you can do that besides meditation. Is that correct? Yeah, I would agree with that. Hundred percent, because I, I think you can be mindful without meditation, but meditation certainly is a vehicle to get you there. Mm. So you mentioned being in the past or being in the future. I find myself always in the future. I, I'm always <laughs> worried about things that don't end up ever happening, and and I know that other people they do spend a little bit more time in the past. But what is it about us? Why why do we spend so much time in a place where we're just not and missing what's happening right in front of us? Um, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I would imagine there's even a, a scientific or psychological explanation for, you know, there, there's, a, there's probably some sort of evolutionary reason that's built into us to be, we're sort of hard, we're probably hardwired to be planning out the future all the time. And, uh, and that may be the why we do it because I still do it too. I still have to sort of fight against it. I, I don't, and that's not the right terminology. I don't fight against it. I just catch myself like, Hey, I've spent 20 minutes thinking about the future. Let's bring my mind back to the present moment. Let me, let me realize what the moment I'm in right now. So, uh, but so it happens to all of us. Um, but I have certainly found that I get more out of life and definitely a greater sense of happiness and peace when I appreciate the moment I'm in instead of dwelling on a future that hasn't happened and probably won't happen the way I plan it out. 
Yeah, that's right. Wow, that's really well explained. I think a lot of people think that mindfulness, I, I guess I'll also use the word meditation, is all about turning off your mind. But you said it so well there that the point isn't to turn off the thoughts. The point is to see the thoughts. And however many times it requires to come back to the present, that's the point. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I would. I emphasize that in one of the episodes on Zen Sandwich that uh, that I think there's a misunderstanding that for that meditation should be turning off your mind, and that that's somewhat of an unattainable goal to just completely shut your mind down. Other than you know when you're asleep, even when you're asleep, your mind's not shut off. You you might dream or whatever. It's not to shut off your mind, but to suspend judgment of thoughts. Um, there's a guy named uh, Eckhart Tolle who wrote a book called The Power of Now. Great book. And yeah, it's a terrific book. And in that book, he, 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 he says, you are not your thoughts. And that sort of really stuck out to me as a significant thing because, uh, you know, that you ever have a thought that pops in your head and you're like, where did that come from? Or a thought that pops in your head and you're like, oh, that I mean, maybe it's even a little dark and you're like, oh, I, that's not me. I don't want to think that kind of dark thing. Right. And uh, I don't want to be that person. Well, you're not that person. I mean, just because of that thought popped in there, you know. And uh, so back to the meditation, I find that the bigger goal or the bigger the the aim, uh, I shouldn't say goal because, there, you know, you in some ways, you're never going to hit your goal. And let, I mean, if your goal is to achieve nirvana, well, you know, good luck. <laughs> I, I certainly haven't yet. But my aim, I can still aim and, and strive to get there. My aim through meditation is to suspend judgment. And so if a crazy thought comes in my head, okay, I acknowledge it. And then I let it pass through and get out of my head. And I bring my attention back to the moment, back to my breath or whatever I'm, I'm meditating on or focusing on. Yeah, I love that. I think that's such a good description. The voice that we have in our head, it, it's just so close to us and it's so loud and it's just babbling on and on all the time and, and you get lost. It's really easy to get trapped and get lost in that. And and yes. I'm kind of the same. Like I, One thing that I got out of meditation is the ability to sit back a little bit further and see that the, the voice in my head is something I can observe which then makes it an object-subject relationship, which means you are not that thing. You're not those thoughts. I'm sitting in a room and I see a chair, and since I can mm -hmm. observe the chair, I know, okay, well, I'm not a chair, <laughs> which is a helpful <laughs> right. thing. Nobody's sitting on me. That's great. Um, right. But but I think... I think from, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I think that's a perfect analogy. Gotcha. Yeah, and I, yeah. It, it is difficult to break away from that, but it's a pretty astonishing feeling when you do, and... And you start to regain some of the power to experience life just the way that it is and not have to force it or have it be a certain way for you to agree with it. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a game changer. <laughs> I mean, uh, when, when I started realizing, hey, I'm not, you know, my thoughts and, and I started to observe my thoughts instead of instead of being my thoughts, because, it, you know, I think that's I think people are trapped in this notion of, oh, I thought that that's who I am. But when I started to, well, the way you just said it, you know, that to in a subject object relationship and realize that that's just another thing, <laughs> uh, then I had a sort of conscious power over it to 
move past it and move and go back to the present moment. Mm. Even if it's over and over again, that's the other thing I emphasize in the podcast is that it, uh, is, it's a continual practice. It's not something that, you know, you're going to get to a certain point like, ah, oh, okay, now I'm mindful. Okay. That problem solved. Check. What's next. It, it's not like that. It's something that, you know, you just do it every day and you get better and better at it. And, uh, and it, it sounds, uh, um, ambitious, but life really does get better and better the the more you practice it. Hmm. I love that. You do such a great job breaking down some of those concepts in your podcast, and I want to talk a little bit about them. The first thing I want to say is, do I need to live in Nepal to meditate, or can I meditate <laughs> while I'm washing my dishes? <laughs> you address this specifically. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, no is the answer to your first question. Uh, you know, there there is a, a Zen uh, saying that the only enlightenment you find at the top of a mountain is that which you bring with you. So, you know, the mm. enlightenment is, is found within, you know, it's not at the top of a mountain. It's not in Nepal. It's not in Japan. You know, it, it enlightenment's there in Utah and in, in, uh, in, inside, uh, inside of Casey. Um, so no. And yeah, I, I, you can achieve a sense of, calm and peace by washing the dishes. The key is to focus on the dishwashing and not, you know, some stupid thing you did in the past or something you're doing tomorrow, but just to just feel the sensation of the water going over your hands and just focus on that moment and doing that thing. And it's hard at first, honestly, you know, cause your mind is, is reared up and ready to go. But, um, if you can, you know, gently bring it back to the one thing that you're doing at that moment. I, it's, it's hard to explain that, uh, how, what, what a sense of, um, of bliss it can bring. Mm. Yeah, I really like that. Another thing you address is, is whether or not somebody can really truly change themselves. And I think we have this idea that, you know, I was born this way and this is, you know, who I am, it's my genes, whatever. And you can't really change can can a person really change themselves fundamentally in who they are i i think so i at one point i quote uh alan watts who is a he was a guy in the 60s and 70s who who basically brought uh zen buddhism to the forefront of western um uh or brought it to the attention of the west uh through books he wrote and he was a um a professor and um kind of a hippie counterculture guy. But, uh, but anyway, he's got a quote that says, uh, you are under no obligation to be the same person you were five minutes ago. Mm. And, uh, I, I love that quote because I think that we, we often, um, just maintain this sort of persona that we're in out of expectation that, oh, people are going to expect me to be this certain way. So I, therefore I must continue to be this way, but you're, you're not under contract to do so. You know, you're, you're free to be whatever you want. I mean, the, the difference that separates us from the animals <laughs> is the conscious mind that we have the ability. I mean, we have all those animal instincts. We get hungry or we get angry. You know, we feel emotions. But the one benefit that kind of sets us apart that where we have an advantage is we have a conscious mind to think about these things and to have a rational discussion with ourselves uh, to make ourselves better or different. 
So no, we're not trapped into any one persona. Mm. It's all about kind of changing the story that we're telling ourselves. Right. Yeah. Let's see. How long do your typical meditations last? I usually do uh, just a three minute one in the morning just to get my day going. And, uh, um, but I mean, I, I'll sit sometimes for 20 minutes or 30. I usually don't go longer than that. I know there are some people who are really into meditation and they, they can sit for an hour. Uh, that, that would probably be pushing my limits, but, um, but no, I, I, I sort of do a, a frequent all day long meditation, whether it's walking, you know, if I'm walking somewhere or, you know, washing the dishes or, uh, even making my coffee in the morning, you know, I, I try to stay present in the, in that moment and focus on what I'm doing. And in so doing, I kind of count that as a meditation, but as in terms of just sitting somewhere and being quiet, you know, I, I, I probably do like a five minute, uh, thing every once in a while. I, I'm not really, I, I like meditation, but I don't, uh, I, I don't sit for like hours staring at a wall. Mm. You still have dishes to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that, well, that's, that's very, that's very Zen actually. That's how Zen kind of separates itself from the other uh, sects of uh, Buddhism is that, you know, there's still dishes to do. And so, <laughs> you know, you know, do them <laughs> when you're hungry, eat when you're, when you're tired, sleep. That's yep. Zen. Ah, I love that. Um, you mentioned being able to meditate throughout the day, but it, it's often really difficult because we do have so many things going on and we get distracted and the voice in our head gets louder. What, what things anchor you and bring you back? Is that the breath for you? I know that is the anchor for most people. What, what helps remind you to stay present? Yeah, that, that's a good point. I, uh, I, I certainly use the breath as a focal point to, uh, if my mind, let's say I'm doing something and I've got 20 things going on in my head and I, I then have this moment like, okay, I need to bring it all back in and get centered again. I, I usually do start with the breath and just feeling the air come through my nose, fill my lungs or in my, my belly and exhale and, you know, focusing exclusively on the breath is a, quick way to bring yourself back into the present moment. And, mm. um, yeah, I, I do that all the time. Mm. I love that. Why, why is it so hard for us to find happiness? Um, or, or if we do, it's just so fleeting and it goes away and it's replaced by, like we talked about earlier, the worry and the, you know, thinking of the future and those types of things. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know why that seems to be the human condition. And it's a, it's a part of me too. You know I mean? I'm, I have this podcast and I try to help people with mindfulness and meditation, but I, I, I also try to emphasize that, look, this is a day-to-day -day practice for me too. I, I'm not a guru, you know, doing my podcast from the top of a mountain. I'm a regular guy like, you know, you or anybody else. And, um, and I, I have moments of, you know, emotional eruptions. Uh, you know, I, I get mad at stuff or sad at stuff. And I, I guess the difference is, is I, it's kind of going back to the Eckhart Tolle stuff that uh, I, when I get sad about something or angry about something, I, I'm now, I've cultivated my mind to, to realize it. 
and to acknowledge it, even accept it, you know, to accept that, okay, I'm mad about this thing or I'm sad about this, this other thing. And, uh, and that's the way it is. And so instead of fighting it or suppressing it, I just acknowledge it, allow myself. And what I'm getting at is that it, it's weird. Almost instantly there is a sense of happiness that's there. Even in the midst of my anger or sadness, you know, I, I realize like, hey, I, I'm alive. I'm breathing. I'm in this moment. And this moment is all I've got. The present moment is all you'll ever have. And, uh, and this, even in the midst of my anger or sadness, I can still have a moment of gratitude that I'm alive and I've got this obstacle of sadness or, or anger in front of me. But I'm lucky, you know, I'm really lucky. I'm, I'm lucky to be alive. I'm lucky compared to a lot of people on the planet. There's another guy named Sam Harris who um, uh, is a fascinating guy. He's got a great meditation app called Waking Up. And in that app, he has a, a, a guided gratitude meditation where he talks about, you know, you, he's stuck in traffic and uh, he's frustrated but if he, if he really thought about the, what is it, 7 billion people on the planet right now, how many of those people would love to have his life? I would love to just be stuck in traffic. Like if, you know, how many Syrian refugees or how many people who are, are starving in Africa or somewhere would, would love to have his problems, you know? And when he thinks about it in those terms, I mean, he can suddenly be grateful that that's the worst thing he's got to deal with today. And, you know, I don't mean to go on and on here, but that, that your question was like, why do we always search for happiness? I don't know why, but I know that we can find it in the present moment. And if you keep searching for it, like, oh, I'll be happy when I get this car or this house or whatever, then if you keep going that path, you're, you're probably never going to get there. You know, it's only the gratitude of being in this present moment that you achieve real happiness. Mm, wow. That is so well explained. I really love that. That's a really great point. If somebody wanted to kind of get started, I would definitely send them to your podcast because it's great. It's easy to understand. It's very practical. It's useful advice. It's something you can plug and play directly into your life. You don't need to wait. What's, what's one thing that you would say to somebody who, you know, maybe their life is pretty chaotic and they want to do something to discover that innate happiness that's already there, what would, what advice would you give them? Probably to simplify to, uh, uh, you know, minimalism is another buzzword that kind of accompanies mindfulness a lot. But, uh, and I, 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 I don't think anyone could, I don't think I qualify yet as a minimalist. I, I definitely have too much stuff around, but, um, I am a mental a minimalist in terms of there are four areas of life that I, I try to work on every day. And just these four, your mind, your body, your relationships, and your financial life. And I work on those four every day and everything else is superfluous. Everything else is just extra stuff. If you focus on sharpening those four things, Every day, the superfluous stuff, the extra stuff that doesn't neatly fall into those categories will take care of itself. So every day I try to exercise my mind, exercise my body. I do something 
with with for the relationships in my life you know whether it's surprising my wife with a card or you know um my my mother just just passed recently but uh but you know if i yeah um but um you know doing something for her like sending her an email or something uh you know every day and then the financial thing is you know i work on my job every day so but i but i divide that time and when when it's quitting time at work it's quitting time. I, I don't, I don't work overtime. You know, uh, when it's quitting time, I then move on to that other thing, whether it's relationships, mind or body, but I just focus on those four things. And, uh, so to answer your question of what would, what would be my advice to someone who is wrapped up in a chaotic world and they're struggling? I think step one is simplify, weed out the unnecessary junk. I really love that. Let's take a quick break. I want to bring you back and ask you to define a few really interesting words for us. Before I test your international vocabulary here, um, I do want to ask you something that we've already mentioned a few times and something that definitely shines through on your podcast, which is the importance of humor. What, why, why is it that we can mix in humor with Zen and make that fun? Well, I, I think the, there's two ways I could answer that question. One of them is just humor has always been a part of my life. Now, with that said, I, I actually wish I could sort of spruce up the podcast a little bit with a, a little bit more zaniness. I don't know. But, uh, you know, like when, when I was in high school, I was voted class cut up. And uh, um, when I was younger, I had aspirations for being a stand up comedian. I, you know, I, I know I'm not I'm not uh, rolling out the jokes in this particular uh, interview, but uh, I, I do like to laugh and I do appreciate humor. So that would be one answer to your question of why I try to, why I include it. The second would be because people take the world way too seriously. Uh, one reason I started Zen Sandwich is because, you know, I, I have been a member of, uh, or I still am a member of several like Facebook Zen groups. And, you know, I already had a what I I hope is a pretty decent understanding of Zen philosophy before I join those groups and I get into those groups and they, there are people who start to argue about uh, whether it's appropriate meditation technique or whether this or that falls into uh, the the tenets of Buddhism and I, I look at that stuff and I'm like you you guys are totally missing the point. It's so um, ironic. It's so ironic. <laughs> yeah, it is ironic. I'm like that, you know, you're missing the whole point of Buddhism, which is not to attach to some sort of dogma or, you know, it, it's, it's to be aware of, to, to have a heightened awareness, you know, and that's kind of it. I, I'm not saying that there, it, you can't write books about that and talk about that, but these people argue and I'm like that, this is the same thing that happens in Christianity and in 
or in Islam that, you know, you've got Shia law and you've got Sunni uh, Muslims and they want to kill each other and they're in the same religion. And, uh, you know, I, I just think well, you're missing the point. So I wanted to start uh, Zen Samich to incorporate humor and uh, um, to, to realize like, hey, th this is a fun ride we're all on. It's not to be taken so seriously. I mean, we're all lucky that we've been granted this opportunity of life to enjoy it, not to get so serious about it and argue over my minutia, like over, you know, irrelevant details. Mm, yeah, I love that. That's so funny to me that there would be arguments in that type of a, a page. That's I'm here we are. It's 2020. <laughs> Just yep. what, what what has happened? Um I want to <laughs> ask you about the podcast. So you started the podcast. What what do you, what would you like to get out of it? What do you what are you looking to I don't know, gain from doing the podcast? Well, um, <laughs> in one of the episodes, I mentioned a word uh, called ikigai. It's a Japanese word. Uh, you beat ikigai, me to it. That's the first one I was going to ask you. Well, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I hesitated because I knew you said you wanted to ask me some uh, some uh, definitions, and I, I figured that was on the list, so I didn't, I didn't want to to jump ahead of, of you. Of course, but, no, it's great. But that's the answer to the question is that, you know, Ikigai is uh, finding your purpose. Uh, I, I, I like to actually define it as what's your reason for getting out of bed in the morning? And um, it, in one of the episodes, I talk about this like 101-year-old Okinawan fisherman who still gets up three times a week to go catch fish for his uh, family. That's his Ikigai. I mean, he's a, he's over a hundred years old and he, he, that's the reason for living, for breathing, for getting out of the bed in the morning. This podcast is that for me. Uh, I, uh, you know, when I, when I plan out these episodes, you know, it's as much for myself as it is for any listener who might be interested. You know, I, I'm gaining insight just by sort of organizing my thoughts on a particular topic, whether it's Ikigai or meditation, um, it, it reinforces that stuff for, for myself. Yeah, I, I really love that. Um, so Ikigai being your reason to get up out of bed, your purpose is what you share. Is that correct? Yes. And, you know, this is one of them. I, I, I have several Ikigais, but uh, yeah, this is certainly one of them. That's awesome. I've kind of found the same thing. Like we do this just for fun. We don't make money doing this. In fact, we spend a lot of money right. doing this and right. I'm, I'm with you. Like it's, it's, it's really fun. It's great to talk to interesting people like yourself. And I'm always surprised as much as I hate listening to myself do the interview. I always cringe, <laughs> but I, it's, it's amazing that I can sit here, have this conversation with you and then listen to the same conversation that I've already had with you and get so much out of it. It's incredible. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, joining the the podcast community, as it were, uh, recently, I, there have been a lot of very supportive uh, people that have been very encouraging. I, you know, I, I actually thought it was going to be more kind of cutthroat that, you know, podcasters would like feel this sense of competition, but it's it hasn't been that way at all. It's been more like we're all in this together and let's help each other out. And, uh, um, you know, that's been uplifting. Yeah, I agree. I've gotten tons of help from people 
And you're right. I, I kind of was wondering the same thing. Like what, what can we bring to the table? That's not already being brought to the table by somebody else who's been doing this a lot longer. And right. there, there is kind of a feeling that there, there would be competition, but it was more just creation. You're just making something that hasn't been done before and having a conversation that hasn't ever been had before. And you put it out there and it's, it's pretty amazing what some of those results are. Yeah. I, I, and I think you, you used a, a powerful word there, creation, like that. I, I want to steal that too, as, as an answer to the question of why do I do the podcast is uh, I, I certainly uh, enjoy creative energy and, and creating something. I, I, I can't, I don't operate very well doing a job. Like I couldn't do a, an assembly line job where I just put something together all day and do the same thing over and over again. I, I feel like I need to create something. I love that. That's great. Okay. Well, you defined Ikigai for us, which was kind of easy for you because you live in the country where that word comes from. So now <laughs> we're going to make this a little bit more challenging and ask you sure. to tell us about Higi. Oh, Hugo, uh, the, the Danish word. Um, yeah, I, I actually came across that when I was teaching English here in Japan at, at Ritsumeikan uh, APU, a Asia Pacific University. I, it was uh, a chapter in a chapter in the in the book for them learning English. I, I don't know why they used a Danish word to teach the Japanese students English. But anyway, we uh, we watched these videos on on Hugo and uh, I, I still don't know how to pronounce it, but <laughs> I, I don't um, know either. <laughs> but I. <clears throat> Um, but I, I became intrigued by it. And so I did, uh, start to look a lot more into it and it, it's kind of hard to pin down and define, uh, it, it's casually defined as coziness, but I, the more and more I've read about it and, and researched it, uh, it, it's, it's a conscious coziness and it's, uh, I, I think it's also a little bit of, purposeful, uh, uh, purposeful self gratifying experience. Like, you know, I, I mentioned the, in the episode about that, you know, eating a piece of cake. Um, it's not about overindulgence. Don't eat the whole cake, but if you want a slice of cake, go eat a slice of cake and, and don't worry about the calories and, you know, just enjoy that, how delicious that cake is, or it doesn't have to be cake it can be time spent with friends you know put that together put uh put together an outing of you and your friends and enjoy that moment um there's a there's another uh vocabulary well phrase here that i'm for an episode i'm going to do in the future uh called uh, ichigo ichie which is another japanese term that is that means like uh you know one time one moment uh basically that every encounter you have in life is unique. I mean, even if you are seeing the same people over, over and over again, every day, you don't reproduce any moment exactly. That's right. So the idea is, is to cherish every single moment. I mean, it, this is one of those unattainable goals. You, you might not ever get to the finish line on this, but if you, if you just practice the, the thought of, Hey, I'm going to appreciate you know, every moment, every encounter I have with a person, even if I, if it's, you know, Bob from work and I see him every day at the water cooler, you know, every time, and even if you talk about boring crap, you know, every time appreciate even that, 
appreciate that and that every time you encounter Bob at the water cooler, that's a unique experience that you will never have again. Mm. And uh, so back to Huga, uh, Huga is consciously appreciating a good moment. I love that. That, that. That's all I got on Hugo. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. No, that's great. We talked about, you know, the coziness and making sure you've got candles lit and it's just <laughs> it really soothing, warming foods. Great for both of us now, currently, especially since it's so cold. Um, right, right. There's also a game. It's called the Huggy Game. And it is a deck of cards that has a hundred different cards and it's got three questions on each card. (laughs) There's literally no winners and no losers. It's just three questions. So I pulled a random card so I could play the game with you. (laughs) So question number one, are you good with kids? Oh, I, I think so. Uh, I don't have any kids, but I, uh, you know, in my teaching career, I did also teach at a, uh, I taught a year in, in South Korea and that was at a, it was a private school that I taught everything from kindergarten up to about grade five or grade six. And uh, it was a wonderful experience. Uh, I've taught junior high here in, in Japan. And um, I, I love kids because I like being a, a clown. And it's, you know, it's much easier to make kids laugh than adults. Adults, I have to, I have to think about how I'm going to make them laugh. But <laughs> kids, you can just act goofy and make them laugh. And laughter just... I don't know. It makes the world go around for me. I love it. That's great. Question number two, what makes you really angry? <laughs> Myself. <laughs> um, uh, usually if I get angry, it's, it's something stupid I said or did, or I, you know, I stubbed my toe and I, I'm clumsy a lot, <laughs> a lot more than I should be. And it, it, it pisses me off. Like, uh, you know, I, I'll just get too wrapped up in, what I'm doing, I'm, I'm turning the corner in my house, like to go down the hallway and I, my shoulder clips the, the doorway and I'm like, what? It was right there, you know, and why, why did I just run into the wall like that? <laughs> so I'll get angry, you know, at myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, other than that, I, you know, I'm not saying there's, there isn't anything that would make me angry, but I, I'm a pretty much slow to anger kind of guy. Like even, you know, somebody says something mean to me or something like that. I, my first reaction might be, you know, I might get that little jolt of anger inside, but I, I'm pretty quick to to suppress that and uh, well, not suppress it, but just to say, hey, there might be a reason they said that, or you don't know what's going on in their life, and you know, I, I sort of accept. I'm 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 pretty easygoing kind of guy. <laughs> sure, oh, that's a great answer. One of the people that I follow in the health space recently talked about how, you know, he practices really high pressure and difficult, uh, you know, sport activities. So he does archery and he also races Formula One um, cars in a simulator. And both of them are not a lot of tolerance for error. And he is somebody who's highly self-critical and he would catch himself talking to himself in this way that like, you would you would never talk to another human that way. Yet yeah. for him, it was okay to talk to himself that way. And so, one of the techniques that he learned was to was to stop, realize he was doing it, stop, reframe the conversation like he was going to talk to somebody else. And he might say, mm-hmm. "You know what? Yeah, it wasn't a great day. You weren't really 
accurate with your archery, but you know what? It was good practice and try again tomorrow. And he said that completely changed his mindset. And that makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. It's so easy for us to talk to ourselves in a way that we wouldn't dream of talking to a stranger, to our right. significant other, whoever. So, right. Okay. Question number three, researchers say that it's impossible to change your level of happiness. Even if you won the lottery, you'd soon be back to the same level of happiness as before. Do you think this is true? This is a great question for you. Uh, yes and no. I, I guess my first response would be, well, other researchers say you can change your level of happiness, right? I mean that, you know, maybe some researchers have come to that conclusion. There are other researchers that come to a different conclusion. Uh, another episode I have on the, the Zen Sandwich podcast is one called Assessing the Probability of Truth. And uh, in that, I talk about that there are really very few absolute truths out there. You know, I, I mentioned in the, um, in the episode, for example, gravity or the sun coming up tomorrow. Um, but even those, if I tell you that tomorrow the sun will come up and tomorrow gravity will work, you can really only believe that to 99.9999% certainty. You, I mean, yeah, of course the sun's coming up tomorrow and gravity will still work, but you can't know that <laughs> at a hundred percent level. And um, so likewise, like statements like that about you can't really change your level of happiness. Well, I, I tend to assess a probability of truth to that statement. Maybe that's about 65% true. <laughs> Maybe some people can't. Maybe some people really are just hardwired to not be happy. And that's unfortunate. And I'm, you know, I, thankfully I'm not one of those people. But I certainly do know from my personal experience that changing my perspective has increased my general happiness in life. So I would say it's 65 to 70% true. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I think that was really well thought out and well said and a really good answer. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think it's easy to find whatever conclusion you want to find, but at the end of the day, it's, it's you who's making your own reality and deciding what, what you are. If you want to be happy, you can be happy. So yeah, I really like that. Absolutely. Oh, so we, it's 2020. This has been a year, um, of a lot of change <laughs> and a lot of unrest and difficult situations and difficult social situations. And all of us have had major impacts in one way or another. What, what makes you optimistic for the future? Well, uh, I do believe in humanity and that, you know, humanity can be frustrating at times, whether you're talking about climate change, you know, I'm going to avoid politics here altogether, but you know, whether you're talking about the climate changing whether humans are responsible for that or not and some people care and some people don't um and or whether you know the homeless problem in the united states you know people have different solutions and again i won't i'm not going to take a political stance one way or the other but you know some will say uh i mean i have my own political views but i'm, I'm gonna avoid using them in uh in this context but uh you know some people will say uh that you know to provide housing and, and, uh, you know, food for those homeless people and other people will say, no, they need to work for it or, or whatever. Uh, at the end of the day, I still believe in humanity. I believe that we are for the most part 
good. And that for the most part, we want, I mean, the, tr- the truth is, whether, whether, regardless of where you fall on that political line, in reality, you actually do have the same end goals. I mean, everyone wants to eliminate poverty, right? You, you disagree on how to get there. You know, Republicans and Democrats will fight all day about how we achieve that end goal. But at the end of the day, we all want the same stuff. We want a lower crime rate. We want a zero crime rate. We want poverty to be uh, uh, eradicated. You know, we want, uh, you know, happiness. So I'm optimistic about the future because I still believe in humanity and, and, and empathy. I believe that empathy is in most of it. Some people tap into it a little better than others, but I think empathy is, is, is innate in all of us. Mm. That's a great answer. Um, you, you went through this process of discovering yourself, discovering your, your, you know, your Zen and a, a new way of life. And a lot of people could do that and be happy on their own and not share that with others. But you decided not only was it important for you to learn and live this life, but also to share it with other people. And I know how much work and time goes into podcasting and it's, it's not a small amount. And you decided to make a show. You are clearly very mindful about making it entertaining and having a, a really good point that's simple, that can help people just for the sake of helping people. And so just on behalf of myself, who just found this podcast, and in behalf of your listeners and all of our listeners, I just want to say that I'm very grateful for you and your work. I'm really grateful that you decided that it was important to share that message. And it's part of what helps me also be optimistic for the future and, and know that as, as humans, we can find a better reality, however we get there. So, so thank you very much for everything that you do. Wow. Well, well, thank you very much. And, and I'll say again, man, your, your enthusiasm is, is motivating. Like, uh, just talking to you now, or, you know, when we've, uh, had some, some, uh, uh message conversations back and forth, uh, before this, I, I swear when I'm done talking to you, I like, I want to go, uh, I want to go fix something or I want to go run a mile or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> wash those dishes. I've got inner. Yeah. I want to wash this. I've, I've got in- energy after talking to you. It's, it's funny. Well, thank you. Well, that's, that's very kind. I look forward to a lot more conversations with you. Um, I look forward to more of your episodes before we go. Can you tell us um, one simple thing that you would like to give to the listeners that they can use immediately in their lives? Um, I, I guess I would go back to the, you know, enjoy, enjoy the moment that you're in. The present moment is all that you really ever have, the, this, this ongoing present moment. And to be grateful for it. I, I think the key is gratitude, be, being grateful for the, the stuff you got. That's great. Where can people go to find you? Well, uh, Zen Sandwich is now on, you know, all of the major uh, platform. So you could go to Apple podcast, Amazon music, Spotify. It's now finally on Google podcast. I actually got the email the other day. It, it's even on Pandora. Pandora is the big one that takes like months. That to get took on. forever but, uh, for me. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm on Pandora too. So you can go to any of the major, uh, um, 
there, there's a an app I actually use. I, I don't even go to the ones I'm the, those big ones that I just mentioned. I go to an app called Good Pods, and uh, you can get it there. Um, so just type in Zen Sandwich, Z E N S A M M I C H, and it should pop up. I love that. We will make sure we link to all of that in the show notes. Mark, I really appreciate your time and I appreciate all the work that you're doing and hope that you continue to do it because it really makes a difference and it's very much needed in today's day and age. So thank you very much and thank you for coming on to our show today. Thank you for having me. I I enjoyed it. Absolutely. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio.